This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. Thanks, Bodhivadra. I'm going to introduce Amitabha to you by talking about how my connection with Amitabha developed over time and in different ways. And some of that connection feels like connecting with universal elements, more traditional elements that are associated with Amitabha, which I'll talk a little bit about color, his name, where he sits in the mandala, but also more personal elements that have uh, that have come out for me over the time that I've known him. And it does feel a bit like that, like getting, getting to know someone who, as Buddy Vajra said, isn't, isn't a person. This is going to be a little bit informal. I just want to share some associations and see what happens. When I first came to the Buddhist Centre, I was really struck by the images that, that I saw, both this image in the shrine room of Shakyamuni Buddha, the historical Buddha, but also these Buddha figures that I started to hear about and be introduced to through imagery, but also through people talking about about their qualities. And actually, the first figure that I made a real connection with was Green Tara. So some of you might be familiar with her. She's a manifestation of enlightened qualities in a female form, which I found immediately relatable. And her right foot is stepping down into the world to meet the sufferings of the world with compassionate activity. And that really spoke to me, that immediacy of Green Tara's connection with all beings. And also there are stories about Green Tara's vow to achieve enlightenment in a female form, which again, very, very important and relevant to me. And I still have a really strong connection with Green Tara. And for a while, I thought that it was just really important to me. I thought that when I got ordained and took a, a sadhana, which is a practice that you're given at your ordination, I thought it was going to be very important that I t- would take a female figure. I'm, I'm a woman. It's very important to me to practice as a woman in this life. But as, as I came closer to my ordination, actually, it became really clear to me that Amitabha was the, was the figure that I've developed the most connection with and that I'll continue to be with throughout my practice. So my first sighting of Amitabha, the one that I remember the most, was at Vajrasana. Vajrasana is a retreat centre in Suffolk, very close to here, and it's recently been renovated, but I went there for the first time before it was it was redone, when the shrine room was in an old barn, uh, a remodeled barn, that was a circular room, so some people here have been there. And the pictures of the five Buddhas were actually around the room. I'm going to pass around uh, the picture. This is the image that that I first saw at Vajrasana. For a long time, this was my main association of Amitabha. This is how I saw Amitabha when I heard his name or started hearing about the five Buddhas. This was the picture that I really connected with. It was very much in the context of the five Buddha mandala that I connected with Amitabha as well, perhaps because my first connection with, with Amitabha was at Vajrasana, where the five Buddhas were around the room. But it really started to develop and strengthen, actually, when I started teaching yoga. Bodhi Vajra came to some of my very first yoga classes, and I remember him saying to me that he was a bit surprised by my teaching. He thought of me as quite a dynamic, energetic, extroverted Canadian, 
uh, with lots of, yeah, with oh, quite a bit of energy, directed energy, which sometimes we refer to as like Vajra-like energy, very directed, very straightforward. But he said that actually he found my yoga teaching more Padma-like. Padma means lotus. It has that connotation of unfurling or opening rather than going directly for something or being able to choose the timing or how you want it to look. You don't really get that same sort of agency with, with Padma, with Padma energy, with lotus energy. I really love that metaphor that you can't force a flower to open. You can't prize the petals open. You have to allow it to open in its own time. To hear that my teaching came across in a way that was inviting people, uh, allowing people to unfold in their own time. I really responded to that and I also felt a real longing for that because I didn't necessarily straightforwardly associate myself as that type of person. I maybe like the idea that I can I can be more direct, confident, clear. I want that and going to get it. But that kind of strong energy can tip for me into a yeah, a bit of a forcefulness or a pushiness. So moving more towards this idea of allowing things to unfurl, to open, was very appealing to me. After Bodhi Vajra said that, I started to notice a bit more, notice Amitabha a bit more, notice this, any Padma references, any Lotus references. And when I went on, I went on my first solitary retreat, so I went away to a small cabin in the Bayou Retreat Centre and stayed on my own for a week. And I brought this picture with me, and I had it on the shrine. And I just kept wanting to go back and, and look at it. I wanted to sit in front of the shrine and gaze at, at Amitabha. And I felt a little bit like I was falling in love with him. I sort of thought he looked a bit like Clark Kent sometimes. <laughs> and <laughs> with this dark black hair and a little curl on his, his forehead. And I remember coming back and saying this, saying this to people, saying this to Bodhi Vajra actually, and him saying, well, that's really appropriate. For Amitabha, you know, this red color, Amitabha is very much associated with attraction and fascination. We're drawn to do the beauty of, maybe not of Clark Kent, uh, something, something beyond the, the mundane. What does the mundane mean? I don't know, beyond. When I look at that picture, I don't just see this flat image of, of colors or of paint. It's almost like I go into a window and look into this world of richness, of beauty, and that I want to move towards. So whether I was meditating at my shrine or uh, doing pujas, there was always this, this picture. felt like there was this subtle glow emanating from it that I just wanted to sit in front of, to witness that, be part, be in, in dialogue with that, be in communication with that in some way. So this quality of fascination and, and love started to, to come out for me. That solitary retreat really cemented my connection with Amitabha, and I started to become more interested in other symbols and imagery. Amitabha is head of the Lotus family. Tara, Green Tara, who I mentioned earlier, uh, is also part of the Lotus family. So that pleased me, that these two figures that I have a connection with are connected in this way. Green Tara is also part of the Karma family, the same family as Amoga City. So she's she's versatile. And also, Green Tara and Amitabha are connected by another Buddhist figure that some of you may be familiar with, called Avalokiteshvara. Avalokiteshvara is the Bodhisattva compassion. And in one story, Avalokiteshvara 
feels the suffering of the world and that brings brings tears to his eyes which fall into a pool and from that pool green tara is born also in the story in a similar myth uh, avalokiteshvara has 11 heads looking in all of these directions and at the top is amitabha's head so i think of amitabha almost as a grandfather figure avalokiteshvara as the father as the, as the daughter so we've got this almost family in the Lotus family. And because some of my friends have a strong connection with Avalokiteshvara, my preceptor who ordained me and gave me my name, which I'll say a bit about later, one of her practices is Avalokiteshvara. Uh, and also one of my uh, Kalyanamitras, my spiritual friends, her practice is Avalokiteshvara as well. All of these things feed in together to allow this, uh, this connection to strengthen to feel more resonant and true for me. These different Buddhist figures are grouped together in, in different ways. And actually, depending on which Buddhist tradition uh, you, you look into, they might kind of move around, uh, they might change color. But it's very important to me, uh, his red color, that feels very, very relevant and essential with that, that sense of love, of fascination, of passion, of vibrancy, of blood. Those of you who know me know I'm quite interested in the menstrual cycle. I don't think that's a traditional association with Amitabha, but this does have a real importance to me, this vital lifeblood within us, and also this spiritual practice of becoming more aware of our bodies and the cycles within them. This is a picture of a chakra I found on the internet, and this is actually a interpretive drawing of the root chakra. So this is a base chakra, which traditionally isn't associated with Amitabha. Amitabha is associated sometimes with the throat chakra or because of his association with love and, and metta, perhaps with the heart chakra, but not with the root chakra, which is traditionally red. But this is what is most present for me. And again, it's the dominance of the red color. So now we're, we're veering into the more personal connection. So I've already mentioned Clark Kent. And those of you who know me know that uh, it's not just Superman that I have a connection with, but it's lots of different superheroes. When I first came to the Buddha Center, it was really important to me to bring together these different imaginal parts of my life. I really love superhero films, comic books, this idea of these beings who are beyond human, and yet they're dedicated to alleviating the suffering of the world. That's what they seem to do, even if it doesn't serve them. Very early on, I did a drawing of my favorite superhero named Halo, and I don't have time to go in uh, to, to Halo and all of her qualities, but I will show you a drawing that I've done of, of Halo as a Bodhisattva, so Halo as, as Green Tara. Uh, and then as I was becoming more engaged with Amitabha, learning about Amitabha, I started wondering about, well, what would Amitabha be like in a female form? This mandala of the five Buddhas are all male figures, but there's actually also female consorts that are, in a way, inseparable. You could say they're inherent in the figures themselves, but they're also separate beings on their own. And Amitabha's consort is a female figure named Pandara Vasini, which means the white-robed one. And when I went on a retreat later in the year after my solitary, so I had this connection with Amitabha that was building. And a woman on that retreat gave a talk on these female forms. And I had a real response to Pandara Vasini, uh, to, this, uh, to this female consort of Amitabha. She's depicted as sitting on a phoenix, red in colour, wearing a white robe. So I was quite transfixed by her image. 
in this in this picture, but also hearing about her. So on this retreat, I found myself folding into origami lots of white lotuses and setting them around a shrine of a Buddhist figure, which I draped over uh, a white robe. And through contemplating this uh, this image, a superhero figure started to come into into my consciousness. So I started to draw, well, what would Amitabha be like? What would Pandaravasini be like if she was a superhero figure? And there was an important aspect of her having that lotus, that open receptive quality, yet also having an association with fire. Amitabha is also associated with the fire element, this red, this idea of transformation. He burns away what isn't helpful, even the beauty. This superhero figure is uh, holding out this flame. Very difficult to draw hands. I don't think I got it quite right. But I had this image that she was holding the lotus in her lap and holding out the flame uh, as a gift, as an offering. You know. uh, and this is another other image of Pandaravasini that's been given to me by someone who had no idea that I had any connection with Amitabha or Pandaravasini. Again, I enjoy these, these things that find their way to me. That, that resonate with that connection. In the same vein as transformation, changing or burning away that which isn't helpful, Amitabha is also associated with a realm in the wheel of life. I don't have time to go into the whole symbolism of the wheel of life, but there are six realms. I can find it really helpful to think of these realms as states that we inhabit in this life. One of these realms is the hungry ghost realm. So this hungry ghost realm is characterized by craving, by insatiable craving, by never being able to get enough, never being able to have enough. And this is something that I feel very strongly in my life. So I have a history of, of being addicted to alcohol and I'm in recovery from my addiction to alcohol and I've been sober for about 14 years. So even though I... I no longer drink or feel compelled to drink. I'm still aware of those, yeah, of those, of those parts of myself that are always looking for something to be filled or something to be, yeah, trying to grab something to fix some part of me that doesn't feel quite right, which I really associate with that sense of, of craving, of wanting, of not being able to get enough. And that can manifest in wanting alcohol, that can manifest in wanting food can manifest in all sorts of different ways. So Amitabha being associated with this realm and offering an antidote to that craving, which is nourishing food and drink. It's a, a metaphor for like, well, what do I really need? All of this grasping, all of this craving, all of this wanting, it's all going out here. And in some ways I can associate that with the, the negative side of that Vajra quality, that trying to get somewhere, that trying to, I want something that's over there, not here. And if I can remember to keep coming back to that more Padma quality, can I be right where I am right now? Can I open up to what's here right now? Then can I find some peace? Can I find some place to rest, even if only for a moment? Also associated with this is Amitabha's animal. In the five Buddha mandala, uh, there are different animals associated with each of the figures. Amitabha's animal is not red, uh, is not have anything to do with fire. Uh, Amitabha's animal is the peacock. 
I'll pass that, pass that around. Uh, I found I found that in, in Paper Chase, which I was really pleased about. Um, and these uh, are kept down in the in the shrine cupboard because I pass those peacock feathers around. Any images that I see of, of peacocks, I've got books, I've got journals with peacocks on them. If, you, if you're ever struggling, what should I get through that? Yeah, get, get me a peacock, get me a peacock journal. And the reason for this, peacocks, peacocks feed on poison. Peacocks can eat poison without being poisoned themselves. And that poison is transmuted into the beauty of their tail feathers, their beautiful plumage. And I don't know if that's true or if that's a myth, but I love it. If I get too linear, if I get too this or that, black and white, then I can see these uh, these cravings, these these desires, these even I could label them unhelpful qualities as things I want to get rid of. I don't, I don't want them. I don't want to know about them. I don't want to be aware of them. But if I instead think, well, how can I take, take these in, actually allow myself to become, become bigger and allow my awareness of these qualities to be transmuted into beauty, then I get away from the idea that I need to split myself or split off parts of myself. Uh, that I can allow transformation to to happen by inclusion rather than exclusion. Each of the five Buddhas has a wisdom associated with them. And Amitabha's wisdom is uh, the wisdom of uniqueness or the discriminating wisdom. It's similar to that idea of craving, of always wanting, is my tendency towards comparison. And this is really, really strong for me. I look outside of myself to something over there and compare it to what I have and generally find some lack. I want that, not this. Craving something else can sometimes mean that I don't see the uniqueness of my own experience or of others' experience. It's almost like I desire everything to be on the same plane. But what Amitabha reminds me of is actually there is beauty and uniqueness in each person each individual snowflake, <laughs> each quality, each manifestation of enlightenment. The danger of this, though, the danger of this is that I get into specialness. I love being special. You know, I love being, I love being a little bit better or, you know, one that people are looking at. This, this is my favorite. Yes, listen to me talk. <laughs> so... That can be the danger of discriminating wisdom or the wisdom of uniqueness is that I hear specialness. I hear, let's just celebrate each of our individuality. And my preceptor, the woman who ordained me, a few years ago, she suggested that I maybe consider Ratnasambhava. We met Ratnasambhava in the puja, and some of you who were here last week will have met him in a little bit more detail. Ratnasambhava has the wisdom of sameness. So his is um, mirror wisdom to Amitabha, whereas Amitabha sees everything is unique, the beauty and uniqueness of, of each person, of each person's practice, of each person's going for refuge. Ratnasambhava has that wisdom of equality, of sameness, of not getting into comparison, of not stacking up one thing against the other. So she lightly suggested that I might like to consider this, uh, this wisdom. I was really resistant. I was like, no, Ratnasambhava was the boring Buddha. I, I, want the, I want the red, passionate Buddha. But I 
took on her suggestion, and I went on uh, another solitary retreat where I, I I did take on to contemplate Ratnasambhava. So one thing I did was look at his image in this in this book, and I found that through looking at at this image, I started to have stories coming up for me of Ratnasambhava, of who he might have been before he was a Buddha. And I found myself writing an origin story of Ratnasambhava, uh, him living kalpas and kalpas ago, eons and eons ago, and being a thief who stole from a hungry house, who stole dinner from a hungry house. And then when he went back the second night to steal from that house again, the Buddha was waiting for him in front of the fire. And through meeting the Buddha, through looking into the Buddha's eyes, he vowed that he would never again steal and instead that he would dedicate his life to generosity to moving through the aeons uh, to bring abundance to whoever he encountered and i don't have time to read that whole story today but i will say that partly through this contemplation of ratnasambhava i started to feel that ratnasambhava and amitabha were blood brothers and so i saw this reflection of the two i wrote this on that retreat Ratnasambhava and Amitabha are blood Buddhas, blood brothers, mirror Buddhas, a red Buddha in a gold robe, a gold Buddha in a red robe. Discriminating wisdom meets wisdom of sameness, a regal peacock, a royal horse, transmuting greed, transforming pride. Yeah, so it was a bit of a, a lesson for me about how all of these Buddhas can be, can be connected to each other. And can feed into each other, and they're not necessarily fixed. There is this opportunity to open up to these personal reflections, these personal associations. I've just looked at the time, and we don't have a lot of time left. I'm going to skip a little bit to my ordination retreat. So I was ordained last year on a three-month retreat in the Spanish mountains, and I had a strong connection to Amitabha going into that retreat, as I've been telling you. I really felt, leading up to my ordination, I felt Amitabha's presence. And I felt his presence mostly behind me. So I can feel like there is this, if I sit quietly, I can feel sometimes a kind of aliveness in, uh, in the space behind me. And sometimes it feels a bit like this massive red cloak that's just starting to slightly move forward. And on a recent retreat, I felt it more like there were these parts of, of the space behind me that started to come out. You know that fabric that's raised, it's fuzzy. And like there's some parts that are just raised up a little bit, uh, coming up in, in deep red and towards me. And this picture, even though it's of quite a small rupa, I mean, Tava's in shadow, he's quite dark. But there's, there's this enveloping quality. I feel like I could just rest back into that redness, into that red space cloak holding. This was very strong coming up to my ordination. And when I received my sadhana, so I mentioned that word earlier. So this is a practice that you're given by whoever ordains you. And it was in this sadhana that I was introduced to this other symbol which I hadn't encountered before with Amitabha and of course I'd seen it in pictures but it had never really come out for me in the way that it did when I received my sadhana which is the deep blue sea. All sadhanas start in the blue sky 
at some point this Buddha manifests. This Buddha's... But with the Amitabha Sadhana first, you visualize this blue sea. And suddenly I was in contact not only with the heights, with all of this beauty and this moving towards and moving up, but also with the depths, with all of the darkness, all of those subconscious, subterranean aspects of myself are right there. So the strongest image that I have when I bring Amitabha to mind now, because my relationship has changed quite a lot since my ordination, is of a blue sky and a blue sea. So there isn't a Buddha image. There's no red. There's no fire. There's no cloak. Uh, I just see this space. I feel like I'm resting in this space. Uh, and this was given to me again after my ordination by a friend of mine who isn't Buddhist, who doesn't know anything about Amitabha or, the, or my sadhana, uh, but she gave me this, this card. When I was on my ordination retreat, um, I made this really, really simple A4 bit of paper with this light blue at the top and this deep blue at the bottom, and I etched these words in there, bright blue sky, deep blue sea. So since I've been back uh, from my retreat, that, that quality, that bright blue sky, that spaciousness, that deep blue sea, the depths holding everything has been there. And I've also, just in the last few months, gone on a few meta retreats. Amitabha is associated with, with love. If I could associate him with a meditation, I would choose the metta bhavna, the cultivation of loving kindness. He's also associated with deep concentration. He sits in what's called the dhyana mudra. So his hands are gently resting on each other, his thumbs barely touching. He's associated with quite deep meditation, which I don't necessarily associate with myself. Through these metta retreats, I've been led through uh, the metta bhavna in a particular way, where you're invited to connect with a sense of warmth, a glow, somewhere within your heart, your belly, inside. And instead of trying to make that glow any bigger or make it go outwards, imagining that there's these, there's these curtains or barriers around you. And if you just move that curtain to the side, then that light, that glow moves out beyond you. Doing this practice, I had a real sense, which I haven't had in a long time, of that reconnection with the light and the glow of Amitabha, which, as Bodhi Vajra said when he introduced me, is associated with my name, Surya, Surya Darshini. Surya means sun, and Amitabha means infinite light. So this quality of glowing out, moving out beyond myself in all directions until I come to the point where actually there isn't even really a me anymore. This light isn't coming from me out into anything. There's light, and I can rest back in that, and I can be enveloped by that. The last thing I'll say is about Amitabha's seed syllable. So each of the Buddhas has a seed syllable resting generally in their chest. And you might recognize the colors. <laughs> this is something else that I made. I stole this as an encouragement to, if you do feel drawn to a Buddha, Bodhisattva, a line of text, an image, what does that mean to you? How does that manifest? Play with it.
get quite excited and inspired by superheroes. Like there's this force for good in the world, even if I'm not in connection with that myself, it's out there. Amitabha's seed syllable is three, which I slightly tilted so that it could look a little bit like Superman's S. The syllable hri is translated as to blush. And we come back to that red colour, uh, that feeling of heat and warmth. But hri is also associated with positive shame, with this connection with uh, an ethical aspect of ourselves, our practice, where it's not about doing something right or wrong. It's about that feeling within ourselves, within myself, when I know that an interaction that I've had or even a thought that I've had is turning me in a direction that isn't helpful, that isn't serving connection, that isn't serving that openness. What Amitabha Sri helps me remember is that it's not about uh, berating myself or giving myself a hard time about that, but instead acknowledging that positive recognition. Okay, this is happening, and it's all right as it is, and I can choose to shift. I can make a choice. I can make a choice to open up, to move in another direction. To summarize, for me, Amitabha is this vastness of the blue sky, the depths of the blue sea, the light, brightness of infinite light, the openness and receptivity of a red lotus, however that manifests. Uh, he's associated with transmuting, transforming greed, into this discriminating wisdom, craving into the seeing the uniqueness of all things. And he's associated with metta, with love. So I'll finish by reading a quote from Rumi. And it's not on this card. It's going to have to rely on my heart. As Rumi said, your mission is not to look for love. Your mission is to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you've built against it. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you 